Hi everyone, this is Professor Jervik, and I am going to be doing a short podcast on an introduction for reproduction. So I just wanted to point out that this can be a little overwhelming as far as um, reproduction, the concept, there's just a lot to it. So you really may want to start out with your Silvestri book, your NCLEX success book, Um, because it helps to um, really give you that bullet point information. And then you'll definitely need to go to your maternal health book to help fill in the details of the exemplars as we cover those more in depth. And as far as um, pregnancy and the labor exemplar, we're going to break that down by trimesters and highlight some of the things from each trimester. And we'll do that in class, and then we'll focus more on the actual labor. And then, of course, once baby's born, we'll talk about um, newborn care. And, of course, we'll do this all in class, too. So I wanted to point out um, that the podcaster, just to help you um amplify some of the information that I want you to to get. However, if you're not reading the text, you're going to really struggle with um, 311. So make sure you're really getting into Sylvestri and your maternal health book to help um, fill in those details. Um, Within Blackboard, there's some great videos to watch, specifically the Nagel's Rule. That's something that's an absolute have to know. Um, There's also the GTPAL. There's a video on that. That's another thing that you need to know. And then there's some very helpful mnemonics that may help you just learn some of this um, kind of a foreign language. Of course, for the purpose of our class, um, reproduction is referring to how, you know, we produce tiny humans. And most of you, um, or all of you, have had um, the basics of an egg and a sperm joining. And so that's not where I'm going to focus. Of course, in the book, it talks about the scope where somebody's either pregnant or not pregnant. You can't be just a little pregnant. You either are or you're not. And either of those are either by choice or not by choice. So somebody may be not pregnant, and that may be um, something that they really don't want to be. They wanted to be pregnant, and they're having problems with infertility, or they haven't reached that sexual maturity, or they don't have a partner. Um, they may be not pregnant by choice because they're using contraceptives or their abstinence or the pregnancy thing. So they could be pregnant and it was unplanned or it could be planned. So a little bit, um, infertility, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about infertility. Um, just a little bit about infertility, you know, for some people, This can be a really big problem, um, not being able to conceive or have a baby. And it can end up costing a lot of money. And, um, you know, for some people, it can even be they got pregnant with the first pregnancy and then they have troubles later on. So just being um, aware that some people have this problem and, you know, being thoughtful and um, supportive during that time. Um, Now, thinking back to um, in 305, when we talked about um, fetal alcohol syndrome, 
<clears throat> and we talked about how sometimes women didn't know they were pregnant um, and how they might be drinking and then the baby could have some problems. Now, of course, fetal alcohol syndrome doesn't occur with just that one drink, but, you know, helping to talk to women about using proper protection and um, using drugs or alcohols appropriately. Um, also thinking about um, medications like methotrexate, how we talked about that. Um, you know, for those who had me in 305, I talked about how a friend of mine was desperately trying to get pregnant and her husband was actually on the methotrexate. And literally 12 weeks after he was off the methotrexate, she got pregnant. So um, just think about some of those concepts that we've talked about and how that um, can affect reproduction. Um, now, with contraception, we're, again, not going to spend a ton of time on contraceptions. <clears throat> the big thing I really want you to take away is that, of course, there are a lot of um, different types. And, of course, there are positive and negatives with contraception. Um, with oral contraception, of course, one of the big things to think about is that risk of um, the blood clots and the risk with that. And, of course, if your patient is smoking and they're on oral contraceptives, that risk goes up even exponentially more. Um, we also have to worry about can the person remember to take the oral contraceptives every day. And for some people, they may not be able to do that. And so they may choose another form of oral contraceptive or another form of contraceptives because they just can't remember to do the pill. However, if we do have a patient who is put on antibiotics and they are on oral contraceptives, we need to make sure that they understand that the antibiotics pretty much knock out their contraceptives, the oral contraceptives, and they need to use backup, backup contraceptives. And so this could be like a condom. Um, I actually have a great nephew from oral contraceptives and um, antibiotics, and my niece not knowing that. Um, as far as antepartum, um, of course, during that time, we're really concerned about mom and baby, making sure that the development of the baby um, is going along smooth sailing, watching mom for any complications, and we'll talk a lot more about those complications as we get along. But watching baby, they'll be doing ultrasounds. Of course, we don't want to do too many ultrasounds. Um, listening for the first heartbeat, I remember with my children, um, every time I heard the heartbeat, I cried at every single single first heartbeat that I heard. Um, and I know with my, my daughter, <clears throat> I actually had to have um, four ultrasounds. I had oligohydramnios, which if you break down the word oligo, um, and hydramnios, that's too little amniotic fluid. And so because of that, there can be some serious problems with the baby. So I had to have multiple, multiple ultrasounds to make sure that she was okay and higher level ultrasounds. And so they only did that to make sure that she was okay. Um, if she wasn't, we would have only just done the one. It ended up she was fine. Um, but that was a really scary time. Um, even being a nurse, um, that may have even made it scarier for me at that time. Of course, um, moms and 
dads sometimes even are looking at the what to expect when you're expecting books and there's all kinds of apps. Um, I am not expecting you to memorize every single thing that's happening each week. Um, there will be some big things that happen um, throughout the development of the um, tiny human. Um, and so during that time, there will be some big things, and we'll talk about this more in class, um, the ones that I really want you to know. And of course, in that first two weeks, it's considered a zygote, and then it moves to a, a blast, uh, blastocyst. And then the, it becomes an embryo um, <clears throat> week three to week eight. And so um, if you remember during that time, that's when we're really worried about those neural tube defects. Um, that's when we start having that heart rate is um, developing. We can, um, the heart's actually starting to beat. Um, and with the neural tube defects, that's when we want mom to really be taking folic acid, probably at higher doses. And ideally, all pregnant women who are of childbearing age, who are having sexual intercourse, should be on folic acid before they ever get pregnant um, because ideally you want to be taking that three months before pregnancy. So any women um, who are sexually active should really be taking folic acid just to help prevent those neural tube defects. Um, let's see. And then pretty much between 24 and 34 weeks, those lungs are developing. And, you know, if we have those babies that are born before that time, we'll actually give them some extra medications to help so that we don't have as many um, respiratory issues, hoping that um, we have the baby that's um, healthier. And we'll talk again more about that in class. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, um, there's different risk factors for um, different people as far as, you know, how um, pregnancy is going to go. Adolescents, of course, um, they're at a higher risk just because their bodies are growing as they're, go as they're trying to grow a tiny human in them also. And um, women who are um, having... Um, babies at a higher age also there's a, a big issue and then um, different ethnicities um, for U.S. blacks um, there's just a huge disparity as far as um, some of the um, risk as far as babies healthiness and moms um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in class <clears throat> As far as um, psychosocial factors, um, you know, if they are in a bad situation with um, drug abuse, spousal abuse, addictive life cycle, all that's going to be bad for mom and baby. Um, demographics, where do they live, urban or rural? Um those can affect the, the baby's weight, and we could end up with a low birth weight baby and um, infant mortality, of course, which we don't want. Now, there are some diagnostic tests that they will do 
<clears throat> and during the first trimester, there's um, just a whole bunch of basic tests um, that we kind of talk about with a lot of our patients, you know, checking that urine, CBCs, that RH factor, checking that rubella, hepatitis, syphilis, HIV, um, pap test, gonorrhea, chlamydia. <clears throat> they will do an amnio if it's needed, but that's definitely much more invasive. And then in the second trimester, they repeat some of that CBC. They do that one-hour glucose tolerance test. Um, they will test for the alpha-fetoprotein, um, the serum alpha-fetoprotein, where they do um, blood tests from the mom. And when they do that, they're looking to see if there's any problems um, showing possible trisomy 21, trisomy 18, or issues with neural tube defects. And so if those levels come back um, bad, then they'll do another ultrasound and actually look at the, the nuchal um, of the, the baby to see the nuchal translucency and, and how all that's going. Um, then during the third trimester, they're going to check group B strep testing again, trying to make sure that no problems for baby when baby's born. Um, and of course, just emotional well-being and uh, screening and diagnostic ultrasound only if necessary. They can do amniosis, amniocentesis if they need to. That's usually only um, if there's something that's shown up on something else or sometimes for women who are a higher risk. So, um, because there are risks where they can actually lose the, the baby. Um, so, the mom needs to understand what those risks are when they make that decision. Another thing to think about is um, the pharmacological medications. Um, you know, when mom is pregnant or um Having had birth, she may need analgesics, and a typical medication would be acetaminophen, um, really good for pain in case she's had a tear or having some pain. Um, we usually try and steer clear of our NSAIDs. Um, they're really hard on the bones in that third trimester, so moms should not take NSAIDs while they're pregnant. And then antibiotics, we have to make sure that if mom needs antibiotics, that they're going to be safe for baby too. So if the mom has any infections, antidepressants, SSRIs are the medications of choice, especially if mom's going to be breastfeeding. If the mom is having um, severe nausea, um, and it also has a special name, it's called hyperemesis gravidum. And so basically, if they're just having morning sickness, which can be actually all day in the night, it varies on the person, um, they may need <clears throat> antiemetics. And so Andansetron is a very safe medication for mom and baby and um, is used widely. Promethazine is also used, but with that, the patient, it does have some sedating effects. Now, one of my nieces did have the hyperemesis gravidum, and she had a pick line, and she basically alternated between the promethazine and non-dancitron. Every four hours, she was taking one or the other. 
Um, we talked about the folic acid and for the prevention of neural tube defects. Iron, it is not uncommon at all for pregnant women to have some anemia. And so if they're going to be on extra iron, the big thing is to remember to teach them some of those things to help prevent the constipation associated with that. So that would be the proper diet and drinking and um, moving around. That's all going to be important to help keep them from being uncomfortable or increasing uh, the potential hemorrhoids. Making sure that they are up to date on their flu vaccine, um, the docusate sodium, that would help if they did get the constipation if they were on iron, magnesium sulfate. We'll talk about this more um, when we're talking about preeclampsia, preeclamptic patients and the risk of seizures, um, prenatal vitamins. Once, as soon as somebody's pregnant, they really want them to be on prenatal vitamins and that helps both mom and baby. And then progesterone. Some women just don't have um, enough progesterone and so by giving them that, that just helps to support the early intrauterine pregnancy, helps the uterine to relax, and helps to decrease that risk for preterm labor. Um, Rogram, we will talk more about that for when you have a um, RH negative mom who ends up with a RH positive baby in them and, and what can happen and what you've got to do to help prevent uh, future pregnancy issues. And then tocolytics, such as nifedipine, um, those are used to suppress uterine contractions for people who are in preterm labor. So I have all of those medications highlighted in Giddens. Um, so those are ones that would be ones to start studying now. Um, and then, of course, interrelated concepts, obviously it's going to be hormonal relate regulation, gas exchange, perfusion, sexuality, and nutrition. And um, we will get into preeclampsia and um, shoulder dystocia later on. And so I think we'll be having a uh, really exciting class. So I hope this was helpful. Let me know if you have any other questions. You can hit me up on Padlet. Thanks.